you're listening to Movies for Decades. Welcome to Movies for Decades, a film podcast where we watch some old movies and then we watch some newer movies. And in this end of the season, we're at 1982's Blade Runner. I am John Alvey. I'm Colin Alby. And I'm Helen Alby Cottingham. And we watch Blade Runner. And we watch Blade Runner. We're One up of the to... best movies ever. It's a great movie. Um, it is kind of a weird sort of family movie for us, Albies. <laughs> yeah. Like, we'll go ahead and get that out of the bag. We know who some of the people who listen to our podcast. This is an odd sort of family movie in that our parents saw this when it first came out and they loved it. And they loved it so much. They really they showed it to their kids when we were all too young, single digits. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we I was the youngest young. out of everybody, and I feel like I was like eight years old when this I, was on. Yeah, and I think I was barely ten. I'm, so you, I might have been eight years old. You might have been old. like six or five. <laughs> I I remember mostly what I thought is that it was boring. <laughs> I didn't really know what was going on. Like, I. Yeah, there's just, I mean, it's hard to follow as an adult, really, especially without narration and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it was a a difficult watch for a kid. Our parents really trusted us to figure it out. Just threw us in the deep end with movies a lot. I think also they showed us The Terminator when we were too young. And Alien and and 2001 And and pretty good results on, well, not 2001, I think that, I think, Double thumbs up on yes. how old I was when I saw 2001 A Space Odyssey. But uh, I think maybe this was maybe like, and the, even the Terminators really was too much for us. But at least that's just mostly a sick action movie, mm-hmm. you know, that like, so I'm, I'm a little bit double thumbs up on how on being too young to see that movie because it ruled. <laughs> um, and uh, but this is a movie that I think seeing it this young, not just because of how violent and disturbing it is, which, you know. And didn't you say that we saw the most violent cut of I think all we, the different I, cuts? I think we ironically saw the most violent version. That's the one that was circulating in That's there. That's what we had on VHS. Yeah, which is, I think, basically, like, was the international cut. Which mm-hmm. this version that we saw today, which is the final cut, mm-hmm. is actually pretty much in terms of violence is about the same as the and we're gonna go into all the cuts later right yeah. now we're talking about our childhood we're having a little therapy session real yeah. sure and i guess one thing i'll get out about this movie is i don't know about y'all but for me i feel like it not so much whatever violence and in, in all that which you know ultimately whatever i'm an american boy and i'm gonna see some violent stuff when i'm pretty young and, and i'm gonna be into it but uh yeah if it hadn't have been this it had been lethal weapon yes yeah, something. something so um <laughs> But really, it was that I think this movie was just kind of too much of a big experience. And the other thing is that, like, I'll go ahead and get this out of the way, is that, well, so as a result, this has been a movie that I've long, I haven't really deeply loved. It's almost a movie that kind of got early a little too hyped up for me, and and it kind of like, and so it's long been a movie that I've admired more than I've loved. Mm. Um, I think it's also, but I think it's a movie that definitely, like, I mean, it's never been a movie that has failed to captivate me, mm-hmm. for sure. And it's, but it's definitely, and I, I would say, it is a movie that 
I am growing warmer to over the years and 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 repeated viewings, especially because I think the emotional content of the movie is getting to me more as yeah. I'm getting older. Um, but I also think, and I'll do this a little bit, is that the other thing that messed me up is is how how freaking excited our parents and the discourse is around this movie and how like before I had time to absorb anything about this movie. In fact, it's possible before we saw the movie, mm-hmm. it was already like said. And the thing about this movie is Deckard might be a replicant. Yeah. And I had yeah. no time to go, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I had no time to discover this for myself. I know. So that yeah. has that has always been a little bit it's... of a thing that has hit me cold. Like and and so therefore from the beginning of my instinct has always been to like my my instinct is to poke holes in it. And that he's even kind of continued to that to this day to poke holes in the theory more than Gola. Ooh, but maybe that's a little different for you, Johnson. Uh, well, yeah. See, middle here's, child rebel. Here's the thing about it. Uh, it: we watched it a few times when I was really young. You know, we'd watch it like every year or something. And uh, it just, I don't think it was that often. I mean, it was a lot. Our like, dad wanted to see it every few years or something like that, and so I, I would just not watch it. You know, usually I just would go out of the room because I was I was like this movie's too long and go confusing play your Buzz for Lightyear me. Computer game. I would go play whatever I needed to play and um, Lego Island, Lego Island, whatever I was playing. <laughs> I would literally just find any other excuse to do anything. And then I found it on um, on TV one time. It was like playing on TBS or TNT or one of those T channels. And I, I remember just being like, oh, this is cool. And I was like a teenager at that point. And I sort of had my own personal rediscovery of it. And um, that's when I was finally like, oh, this is cool. And I think for me, I am really into this movie. And there's little that I dislike about it, actually. Um, but Yeah, so you got to have more of your own personal connection. My own connection. And also when you guys were all talking about the... Uh, is he a replicant or the, not? You were just not all in the, the intrigue room. about that. I mean, it was a lot of those conversations at the dinner table. I was the youngest, and I was like, "Y'all, I don't know what you guys are and, talking and the about." Other thing, I'm just I'm bored. I want to tell I think, my story. Okay, but I'll, I'll just finish. And the other thing is, of course, like part of my is is I didn't have my. I, I'm I'm actually just figuring this out. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the thing is I've never really had my own experience with this movie. Is that like because even even outside of it being a family movie, I would also read about it a ton. Because I was already into reading about movies when I was ten years old, so yeah. like, so it's like it's it's never been my movie. Hmm. I think yeah. that's what I'm discovering. So I, Helen, what, what's your history? I just want to say, bless our parents' hearts for just being such huge fans of us that they have this intellectual concept that they just cannot wait till we are old enough to comprehend it to try to introduce it to us because they just want to know our takes. They want to know our adorable, wide, innocent-eyed child takes on whether or not he Deckard Quit is a replicant. categorizing our podcast this way. <laughs> <laughs> what? That's what I, mean. I see what you said there. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just like, this was one of those movies like Alien and like Terminator where I feel like Daddy would be like, the kids have got to see this. And it would come from this really loving place of like, I want to talk to my kids about it and I want to share it with them. And Mom would be like, no, that's too violent. That's too dark. And he's like, they can handle it. And <laughs> there then, might be a little bit of reverse too. Yeah. I mean, whatever. They, th- I think mostly they're like, this movie's sick. I want to watch it. Yeah. I think there's a little bit and of And there that. was just a little bit of they wanted to watch a freaking adult movie, which I can relate to because I am a parent and I'm like, can we not watch Paw Patrol? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think they uh, also maybe. 
were watching it well, many of these movies for the first time since they'd seen them in theaters and maybe they just remembered it as a sci-fi film and they didn't really remember all How, the the yeah. face squeezing until they were in the room with children watching it and it's too late and to then turn they're like well now. we can't backpedal now yeah. <laughs> the space cr- the face crushing is like uh really wrecked me as a little kid yeah no so holy much shit. about this and movie wrecked me i'm not done with my story sure. of my yeah, experience go ahead. as the oldest i think i probably connected intellectually with this movie the most out of the three of us i feel like i've always held this movie as one of my movies that i care about and that influenced me in my worldview and it's what introduced that idea of like when does a robot get to count as a person that I basically am obsessed with and have been ever since I saw this movie at, you know, 11 years old or however old I was. And I love content about that. I love Westworld. I, um, I like Terminator for that reason. Like just movies about AI really grab me. And I think this is, and then also Herbie, I was watching Herbie recently yeah. and you said it, I think, <laughs> but I maybe, but it's like these also, I loved things about any story about a living machine that was kind of a person because Chitty Chitty Bang Bang and Herbie were also huge for us. And so this just connected. And Brave Little Toaster. And Brave Little which... Toaster and then Toy Story. And it's just like, I want quote unquote objects to be people. And like, when yeah. where is that line? And I somehow connected that with this movie when I saw it, even though it's really dark and really violent. And... I yeah I feel like this movie has always been one of my movies and one that I've really cared about and maybe I was just a little bit more of a like uh, hero worshipper of my parents or something because I I remember somehow knowing this was daddy's favorite movie Mm -hmm. and this was important to him and so it became important to me because it was important to him and I think maybe there's a degree where I wanted to like it more hmm. than I was because of similar reasons. Hmm. And it just it just is is always struggled to hit with me, but that's okay. Other movies hit with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah. And so, but the violence deeply disturbed me as a kid. Also, like that scene where um, Zora is running through all the glass. Like I remember, like having dreams about that scene. Like it haunted me so bad, and it was so sad and tragic. And watching it this time, I was like, this is actually kind of revolutionary for an action movie that this kill isn't just a sick kill. It's like really poignant and emotional. And their deaths in sci-fi action movies aren't always that way. Um, but it really disturbed me as a kid. I remember going to my friend's house after watching this movie and telling the story of this movie like it was a fairy tale describing the most beautiful replicant who is the most beautiful woman in the world, like trying to sell it to her in a way that she could understand and would like it. Whereas like this girl named Rachel is the most beautiful woman in the world and she's a replicant, but she and all the other ones are sentenced to death, but she gets to live because the guy who kills replicants loved her. And it was like, I kind of like presented it as like this Romeo and Juliet, like princess prince thing yeah. to try to get my little friend who is my age to like understand why I loved this movie so much. Oh man. Wait yeah. a second. I want to I sit on how fucking hilarious that is for a second. Yeah. Like, if, 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 like, for one thing, how many little girls are trying to pitch this to another little girl in the history of this movie's existence because and and it is what a bizarre world where like if a little boy is trying to do the tough sell of selling it to his little boy friend 
that is not in a million years the way that you would attempt to pitch yeah. it. So yeah. thank but you yeah, for that insight. I remember really connecting to Rachel as a kid. And for a long time, that kind of look of like the little bright red lips and um, the thick curly hair and like the brunetteness and the high cheekbones. That was like the paragon of beauty to me for years. That was like what to aspire to. Like there's something about the gravitas of her character that really had an impression on me as a child that she was like some kind of perfect being. My opinion of her character now is that she's not really in the movie that no. much. <laughs> Which is a bummer, you know. What's um, funny is that like I think one of the reasons why I'm I'm this movie's I'm warming to this movie more and more is this is the la- I feel like this round of watching it which was, you know, I watched it twice like the international version and then the final cut today is I feel like this is almost at this part stage of my life is where I've connected the most to Rachel's story mm-hmm. that like, it's actually in this part, like where I've been most heartbroken by her story. Yeah. Like it's never, that's, that's always like, like it, this is a movie I'm connect. I mean, this is a movie I'm connecting to more emotionally now than I ever have. I've always kind of connected to it intellectually and I'm in like, yeah, okay, I get it. But I feel like there's a lot of movies that I'm connecting to more in- emotionally than before because that happens, I think. Yeah, as you age, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so that's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess I connected to Rachel from the beginning, maybe because I'm a girl and I was a little girl looking for female characters to latch on to, and I didn't really latch on to Pris for some reason. For some reason? <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I could see there's a goth girl version of me that latched on to Pris, and that was my paragon of beauty, and I like wear black <laughs> eye makeup and like, you know, leotards and have my hair bleached out and frizzed out all the time. But and, Pris like, beat up Harrison Ford, so, you know. So, yeah, it's... and I was already predisposed to root for Harrison Ford because I had already seen Indiana Jones and Star Wars by this point. So, yeah, no, you don't headlock Harrison Ford and have me like you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even though I love Daryl Hannah. Daryl Hannah's great, yeah. But, no, Rachel was my character as a kid. Um, yeah. So should we briefly go into, like, this movie and some of its tortured history? Yes. Yeah, so- um... This movie is known for having lots of different versions hovering around that are widely available to to stream or to at least pick up. Uh, different versions were released on tape and DVD. And, and we have a we have this DVD box set that we got we got her dad for his birthday a while ago. Yeah, yeah. It has like all all like all the like I guess four main versions that are out there mm-hmm. that um that are all in one box set and each one has an introduction by Ridley Scott which wonderful of him so many other directors maybe who have maybe a similar circumstance with tortured history of multiple versions would just try to bury the other versions yeah instead he's like sure no i'll do a quick introduction to all all, every version and Mm -hmm. and let them all be on and maybe that's a self-awareness of how some people really stand for each version so he can't just disregard his fan base and you know trash one or the other i also think it speaks maybe a little bit to the reality that um this is not the partly why this movie has a tortured sort of different version uh you know release history some of that is 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 classic studio interference stuff but some of it is that 
Ridley Scott struggled with this movie a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, in actual fact. So I think he's in some ways kind of like open to the process. Yeah. So, um, yeah, because that's my first question about all of this is why Blade Runner and not other movies? Yeah. How come every movie doesn't go through this tortured re-release process, you know? Why Blade Runner and why not RoboCop? You know, why doesn't RoboCop have a million versions? Why doesn't yeah? Why doesn't any movie? Why doesn't Mad Max have a million? Why versions? not when yeah. Harry Met Sally, the yeah. director's <laughs> cut? You know, the Rob Reiner cut. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah so, um, great question, and I think the basic reason is is that for one thing, I think unique to some of these other movies you've 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 stated, you you mentioned here, reeled off, is that it's kind of amazing that this movie in particular exists at all oh i think because i mean this is a fairly one-of-a-kind movie in the sense that it's not an action movie yeah it is not an action movie it is a it is somehow a movie that is an art film and a cerebral hard science fiction movie that got made you know that was riding the swell of star wars star wars and just big you know like hollywood was throwing money at cool science fiction properties that as long as there was in, I guess they kind of sold it. Like it's got, we'll have Harrison Ford. It'll have action. And they're like, cool. So it's kind of amazing that this movie got made, that this arty film got made at all. Mm -hmm. And of course, partly why it has a tortured history is that of course, the powers that be at Hollywood that were spending gobs of money on this movie. And you can see it on screen. Mm -hmm. They, this is, we're like, Wait, what the fuck are we are we funding? Yeah. This looks this is not an action movie. This is a weird cerebral art movie. Yeah. And we don't know how to sell it. We think it's going to bomb and it technically did bomb. Yeah. So, it's kind of so that's partly why is that this movie like is a bit of a miracle and also is cursed. Yeah. Cuz you don't get to spend this kind of money on a movie, you know, unless unless people who were giving you writing those checks are confident it's gonna work and sadly like the fact that this movie kind of didn't work like our parents are some of the few people who saw it in the theater yeah like uh you know so it's kind of a miracle and it's also kind of and the other thing is the fact that it's this movie because of it's an actual cerebral science fiction film has more to be discussed from multiple versions you know, like there's more arguments you can make for every version, you know, which is makes it a little bit unique in that sense, too. Yeah. The concepts can change. Mm-hmm. Because um, and I guess we'll rattle off what the versions are. And we tried to kind of we made an attempt to watch every version between us. And I, I think we've all seen every ver- all the main versions. I haven't of this seen movie. like the original, original theater test screening. That's. Yeah, but that's basically the the. I don't know. I guess I haven't either. But they that's... made it, and then they added the voiceover because people had such a bad reaction to it. Okay, so that so the bad reaction to version. Yeah, we should mm-hmm. we should try to see that. Um, yeah. Wonder what what is that version called? I think it's called the test screening. Okay. Version. Yeah, I was gonna try to maybe watch that, but then I was we agreed I'd watch the director's cut, which uh, I couldn't find, and so I just watched the final but cut. <laughs> I think the director's cut is. Uh, kind of be, has become the most widely seen. Mm-hmm. Now, one thought I, I had watching this Final Cut version is that in some ways it's like, okay, you know, like in some ways we grew up and started watching this movie in an era where you had no choice but to discuss heavily the different versions. Mm-hmm. But now that the Final Cut exists and Ridley Scott is done. Yeah. And, now- and the Final Cut is by 
far the best looking version of this movie. Yeah, it's I mean, it, dang pretty. It really, really looks great. And like in some ways, there and like now that it exists, like this is the version people should watch. I mean, for one thing. Ridley Scott's done so with it. So you're saying the discussion's maybe going to die out except among deep, deep nerds. Yeah, and in some ways, maybe it should because this is the version you should watch, hmm. you know, because it, it looks the best. It kind of has, it's kind of, it basically is the director. For one thing, I guess the director's cut needs to go ahead and die because this is all the, the director's cut is just this, except this one looks amazing. Yeah. Because I think Ridley Scott was always uncomfortable with, uh, the 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 fact that that thing was labeled the director's cut hmm. because he was like I didn't really get the chance to actually like make it look better yeah yeah it look the... better you mean they saturated some colors and yeah added a few, touched uh, things touched up things it up. looks yeah. you can see things a little bit better and I think there's maybe a little bit uh, some subtle different editing choices or in um. It's just it's just generally a cleaner version, but basically the origin the the so called so I'll rattle through what the different versions are. Okay. So okay, there's sure. the there's the so I've never seen it exactly, but there's this movie was screened in front of test audiences, and I think it didn't get bad. I don't know if I don't know I don't know if it's so much the reaction to it so much as that Hollywood was like, oh what the hell we have what a bomb we- waiting to happen that yeah. we spent a gob amount of a, a gob of money on. So they kind of took this movie out of Ridley Scott's hands, ah. and 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 pretty much said, and and they put in the narration mm-hmm. by Harrison Ford. That's, that's the version I watched. And this was this and and also added like the happy ending, mm-hmm. or the more well, the more upbeat ending with the kind of like uh the. Uh, you know, somehow they got some footage or shot some footage of some landscape in in the Pacific Northwest or Canada yeah. or something and to had, kind of and, indicate that they got away and kind of shot this kind of like you know a little a couple shots of them in a car together looking nice you know mm-hmm. and then and then added that narration and so that's the version that got released to the public and was widely seen for and a while the one that our parents saw and fell in love with and, and so, that my dad still says is his favorite and there is an international version that is basically the same except with a few extra seconds of more explicit violence <laughs> and so and then that's the version that and that kind of was a little bit more popular among the home video crowd yeah and that, that got that released was, in like the 90s on vhs and that's what we had and that's what we saw longer violent scenes more finger breaking i kind of wanted to uh i kind of wanted to uh Watched the actual VHS tape, but I couldn't find it. Oh, and um, but it, but it is, it is, it is also kind of like the visuals looking as crunchy and horrible on on that tape. Kind of, on some ways, adds to it. You know, yeah. there's something to be said for this movie actually looking grimier rather than prettier. So. It's very vaporwave. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Anyway, so then, so yeah, there, those are two versions: the international cut and the U.S. theatrical cut. But then, like already. Ridley Scott kind of from the beginning was was publicly expressing his you know his annoyance with this version and of course we're deep enough in the land of of uh, culturally accepted auteur theory where people were inclined to listen to Ridley director, Scott's yeah. um, opinions about his movie mm-hmm. so along the way a like I think there's kind of multiple directors cuts versions but ba- like one that just kind of removes the narration is no different but that one almost doesn't count and then there's the director's cut which has uh 
the narration removed, the happy, the upbeat ending removed, and then has the, you know, so it, and then it has the dream, the, the, the unicorn floating vision scene in it. Yeah. And that's more or less the version we watched today with is, is sort of a cleaned up version of that, which is called the final cut. And maybe now that that has been around for a better part of 15 years, that's maybe just the version people should see. Um, I maybe have one little opinion of one little, little thing I like better about, um, the, uh, the earlier versions but that's about it so um yeah the um the i feel like in terms of discussing the behind the scenes history of this movie and the various versions of like we could do like i almost am feeling like we're already doing this fortunately but i'm almost feeling like uh doing my speech spiel from uh, the Citizen Kane episode, which is that if you want to dig into the tortured history of this movie a little bit more, there's other podcasts you can probably listen to and also more reading you can do. So that's not really our duty. We can, we can maybe go into it a little bit, but like uh, other than what I just did, but mostly I think it's just good for us to talk about the movie and maybe some of our thoughts on the different versions. Yeah. Helen, you watched the, Probably the most maligned version. And the most is, different from all the others, yeah, I would so, say, also. And you, we just got done watching the final cut. What are some of the biggest differences, and what do you think was strong, stronger in both versions? Or which version did you like better? I mean, I liked the final cut better. Yeah. Um, but that's because I'm a big believer in the uh, Deckard is a replicant uh, debate. And that that unicorn dream sequence is is essential to me, but I really liked how Deckard had more internality in the narration, and I think that's why they added it was because it's like this isn't a, I can totally see a studio exec being like this character doesn't have any relatability and he's just cold and he's just frowning all the time and uh-huh. we need to give him some personality and some depth and so let's have his thoughts and spoken. his maybe. Arguably not a bad criticism. Yeah, I have heard um, that Harrison Ford said once that that narration was some of the his least favorite work he's ever done. I mean, wasn't he supposedly like super drunk at the time? Or I don't know about that. I think he just hated to do it. I think he disagreed with it artistically. Yeah. Um, So I mean, I have. Hold on, it's been it's been a while since I've seen a version with narration. Is it bad writing? What is the problem no, with the narration? I don't think so. I, think I it say just, yes. <laughs> I mean, it makes it more noir. It makes it kind of seem like like this movie that we just watched had so much gravitas and it felt so intellectual. And the narration version feels a little bit lighter, a little bit like an, a sci-fi homage to noir kind of, you know, she walked in with long legs and pretty hair and I was smitten kind of thing, you know, <laughs> like I knew what her intentions were to, by the look in her eye, you know, kind of that, that yeah. old time. It felt like kind of very noir, very old timey, very a little bit cheesy. Uh, with the narration, but it also added pathos to Decker, and it also made some of his actions feel less gross. Like, it really laid on that he was feeling doubts about what he was doing, and he's like, I was growing a heart or something, or like, she seemed sad, but really, maybe it was me that was sad kind of vibe. Yeah. Like, where he's really, you're really in his emotions with him, and 
I don't know, it's nice to be in the lead character's emotions and it's nice to hear his internal dialogue. And it's like, you know, because this is based on a book, you would get that reading the book. Books mm-hmm. are all about the internal thoughts and feelings of the characters. And so maybe it brought that more to life in a sort of the story of Decker and the story of his interpretation of these events. And yet there's definitely a strong argument for it. And I don't think it was poorly written. It was just a little bit cheesy, noir kind of energy. I kind of feel almost the opposite. Oh, really? Well, at least in terms of your, the, the specifics of your analysis. Oh, yeah? In that I actually think that what's wrong with it is that it, it is like part of what's wrong with it is that it's it's like not got any writing style at all. Oh. It's almost like they're like, shit, shit, shit. What should we actually write for his dialogue? Like, it isn't the screenwriter who wrote this dialogue. It's not got screenwriter writing to it. It's like, okay, let's pull some facts from the character dossiers <laughs> and the world-building dossier. Let's just type up some facts and figure out the different spots to put it in the movie. Nah. And Harrison Ford... I mean, it's not a real director, really direct. It's not Ridley Scott directing. So he's like, here, we just relayed some exposition stuff. Okay. Read yeah. it. <laughs> you I know? guess like the exposition-y parts kind of just went in one year and out the other when I was watching that. And I was like, okay, boring. But like the parts that stood out to me were the parts where I'm like, I'm feeling like I know Decker better yeah. than I ever have before watching this movie right now, and listening one, to this. Yeah. And you know, I think actually it's, I think it's a fine idea to make it more noir because the movie's already explicitly noirish in style. Yeah. So I think it works. I think aesthetically it works. It's just not very well executed. No, yeah. And um, and partly because it's not very intentionally and lovingly executed. Yeah. Uh, there are a couple pieces of exposition that I think are kind of good. I like the sort of like his is like Gaff's just some guy who I'm you know not worried about. He's brown nosing or like that's kind of good. Uh, uh, yeah, Gaff is who's Edward is James almost. almost yeah. Uh, he is really the most mysterious presence and it took multiple rewatches of this movie for me to really under to, to gather an opinion about who i thought he was mm-hmm. um which, yeah, and the narration uh, really makes it seem like he is just some guy yeah well see and, and my opinion about who he is while we're on the subject is that he was a blade runner who became injured and then they made a blade runner runner replicant to run uh gaff's uh, cases to go uh, do his executions for him um, and so that's why he's around because he's sort of babysitting this replicant who's doing his job yeah that's see that's the ener- the idea I had also and the feeling I get but from the narration version it really I kind of believed that he was just some guy brown nosing for a promotion well and was also a Blade Runner himself and was also a Blade Runner himself and also was just kind of in training and kind of lower rank and was more shadowing Harrison Ford to learn from a big gun than he was having authority over him which it's squishy whether he's like an old timer or a noob he's got the cane that he walks with yeah which is, i guess the main the only clue they really give you yeah aside from perhaps at the very end well we can get there it's too bad she won't live all yeah. of that stuff yeah yeah so i guess to go more into the narration some of, maybe put a you know sum up some of my feeling about the narration is that uh, i think some of it uh, the only the only writing that has any style is the very end, like mm. that has any actual literary style at all. The rest is just kind of character exposition dump, 
and uh, and and Harrison Ford is very much reading it like, well, I've certainly collected smaller paychecks than this, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but uh, he so, but I think again, like, what is true though is that one of the things when I watched it, uh, the international version, which is basically the same version you watched, just more violent. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is that I was one of the things that was really hitting me watching it is that I'm like, this is really a great Harrison Ford performance, yeah. like one of his best. And I almost, and I was almost finding myself not feeling as strongly that way this viewing with the final cut without it. So I'm almost wondering if like that little bit of empathy juice that the narration provides helps his performance, like his on screen performance more. I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. I was trying harder to let his acting tell me the story that the narration had told me watching it this time. And I did feel more from his face and from his actions, just kind of, I guess, with the foundation of knowing that, okay, he had doubts from the beginning. Okay, he had really wanted to quit. Okay, he really had feelings for Rachel from the beginning. Honestly, he seems very traumatized by shooting people. You can see he's very distressed. Yeah. Um, and, and and really, two of the most egregious examples of how the narration just kills the moment are, are of course, one his his first kill, where like we already get the point that he's shaken by this, and then he even explicitly says it with Rachel later. He's like, "Shakes, it's part of the business," you know. Mm-hmm. And she says, "I am the business," which is a, a beautiful line. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful moment there. And then, um, but yeah, so that but they like that's some of the most awkwardly inserted narration is is over the scene where her body is lying there yeah. blood you know gore you yeah know, let shot. it just be there yeah. and then but really the most egregious example is is after roy dies and and like after his 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 tears in the rain line and then like almost without a beat you know the narration comes in like i don't know why he saved my life and i'm yeah. like and it's like let that moment breathe yeah, yeah. If, if ever a moment needed to breathe it's that one yeah Yeah. so that's that's a you know so i but i think you know there's some arguments for it but i i'm overall in the camp of yeah there's a reason they ridley scott wanted that out yeah i really want to jump off from the this is one of harrison ford's best performances that you said because i really agree and i feel like he has the trademark on extremely vulnerable action hero Mm -hmm. and he gets all this reputation for being like one of the original tough guys but he gets so messed up and and he suffers so much and you can so read it. And he has such a tortured, like, all of his muscles are just aching and you can just feel it. And his eyes are like, and at the end when Roy dies, he just looks dumbfounded. Yeah. He just looks overwhelmed. And I feel like so many actors would try to play that more as like, and I saw, I recognized the gravitas of that moment, or I tried to tough it through the pain. But he's just like, Jesus. He looks a little bit like, what? Yeah, what yeah. just uh, you know, happened? <laughs> what I noticed about Harrison Ford's performance this time, and I don't think I've ever noticed this before, but he's drinking that drink at the seedy bar, and he finds something in his mouth. <laughs> and he reaches into his mouth and pulls something out, and is like, ooh, and then it's... just sort of flicks it away. You know? He's great at acting like that. These little, like, extremely human moments where he yeah. maybe does something a little bit gross, yeah, but it's just, really like, it makes conveys, you connect with him. Yeah, he really conveys such a, like, a vulnerability and a, well, and a 
kind not kindness but there's just something so alive about him yeah there's just that a- i feel like a lot of action heroes have this like stone cold exterior this untouchable this this very difficult to like comprehend what they're going through and just it's all on harrison ford's face all yeah. the time with indiana jones too and even with han solo he's well, like, just a very real raw person you can tell he's a guy who has weird thoughts and thinks them to himself yeah you know? <laughs> well like one of the reasons why the of the of the of the um of my, my phrasing the dreadful disney movies that i you know one of the reasons i like this the, the force awakens the best is because it's got harrison ford in it and I remember when I first saw when I saw that movie in the theater, I was like so delighted to have Harrison Ford back in an action movie again. And I and I was old enough to really appreciate seeing a new Harrison Ford action movie performance because one of the things that's so great where he's shooting and there's explosions all around and I'm like, look at Harrison Ford doing his thing where where you can he's just projecting even in this very modern you know Star Wars movie, you can tell that there's explosions and nonsense and craziness. And and his face mostly just reads, man, I I didn't have my coffee this morning. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I slept on the wrong side of the bed. My neck kind of hurts. You know, those are the main things on his mind <laughs> as, as explosions are going around. And that's kind of been his whole career. And this movie, Blade Runner, really, like, emphasizes how there's, like, really never been a movie star in Hollywood history who is better at getting his ass beat? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just, just, just getting demolished and 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 getting in and just acting in total pain. Yeah, like you just know, just the master of having a terrible day. Just the yeah. master yeah. of having a bad time and in pain, but powering through it. One of the best moments in Raiders of the Lost Ark is, of course, where he's like messing with himself in the mirror and Marion accidentally slams him in the face with the mirror and he goes, oh! <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, I you love know? that scene so much where he's just like, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Like, yeah. just... Uh. He, no one in history has been better at getting his ass beat. And, you know, and, and that makes him such so compelling because he's just a guy who, you know takes a licking and keeps on ticking but man the emphasis on taking a licking yeah but also emphasis on the keeping on because Mm -hmm. indiana jones perseveres every time and han solo perseveres every time but deckard though and that's what makes (laughs) this movie you know kind of great is that this is a movie where like no he's gonna he's about to die he's like scared because he's about to get killed yeah. You know, he's, he's getting his get ass hunted. beat and he's going to die. And he maybe is kind of feels like he deserves it. Yeah. And it's, it's part of what's going on with this movie. So wonderful choice having him in this movie. Kind of an underappreciated Harrison Ford. Because I even think the subtleties of his performance are really good, too. And um, just and also his his weird sleazy guy character he does mm-hmm. to get in the dressing room is fun. Yeah. <laughs> Seeing him with that weird voice is fun. Yeah, he gets to play around as an actor a little bit in this. Yeah, we're basically we're big Harrison Ford stands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. this was his heyday, right? Eighty two. Yeah, because I mean, like, look at like, okay, let me reel off this run. We have, uh, okay, so nineteen eighty is Empire Strikes Back. Nineteen eighty one is uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Wow. Nineteen eighty two is Blade Runner. Nineteen eighty three is Return of the Jedi, and 1984, I believe, is Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, this, pretty good little run there. This guy, yeah. 
Man, so great. And this oh. was and this was and this was the flop of them. Yeah. You know, whereas like, oh, Harrison Ford tried something different and didn't really work. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but um yeah, so um so what do we think about Deckard the replicant? I think he is. You um, think he is one. And what is the significance of that in the story, would you say? That he that's part of where his sympathy is coming from or maybe do you think and he's not aware of course that no he's a but i think that the it's a very philip k dick thing to question your reality mm-hmm. and to feel like you are on unstable ground about what is true and what is not true and just suspicion and doubt is runs through all of philip k dick's every single work and so this like is are my memories my own memories um, and I guess he could be asking that question even if he isn't a replicant. Mm-hmm. But I think that that unicorn just ex- just tells it. Um, uh, where yeah. he was like sitting there looking at the picture of Rachel and her mom that she left at his apartment after she found out that she was a replicant. And he's like staring at it and then also thinking about the unicorn. Yeah. And so it's like, I do have that recurring dream about a unicorn. Why is that? Yeah. And, and then at the very end... Um... Gaff, who's always doing little origami things, leaves a little origami, like, gum wrapper unicorn. Yeah. Almost to say, well, the broader context is that that, um, Gaff was there and chose not to kill Rachel. Yeah. And and that uh, Gaff knows about Harrison Ford's dream, perhaps because it's Gaff's own dream. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's it's interesting. But didn't twenty forty nine say that he wasn't a replicant? Yes, it and did. that's so frustrating to me. That's maybe part of why I dislike twenty forty nine so much. You know much. what's funny is maybe is is that maybe partly why I, I like twenty forty nine better is that I'm like, is that record is not a replicant? Correct choice. <laughs> now the one thing is that everything y'all have rattled off is stuff that has been told to me yeah none of this is stuff i got on so that's partly why i'm biased towards poking holes in it i mean and i've and, read some philip k dick so i guess that's part of it well i've read it too and i think one thing that really works and i think is is the questioning of it like yeah. that's an essential part of this movie's mythos yeah is that like it makes you think like how do i know i'm not a replicant? how do i like, know my that's memories an essential are real, yeah. part of this movie for sure and mm-hmm. certainly yeah. it's how do i know who deserves to die yeah yeah and, and how do i know who's really alive and worth experiencing the world and yeah everything? yeah and all yeah. of that's super powerful and meaningful and i guess he could just develop that empathy without being one of them i guess it yeah it doesn't have to be and i actually think that angle of like not only how do i know but how do how how do i know i'm more worthy i actually think that thematic element works better when it is more ambiguous yeah about and that's actually something that the final cut slash director's cut like it makes it less ambiguous that he's a replicant, which I actually think is maybe an argument for some of these earlier versions. Hmm. Because for one thing, and I was very keen on this because I knew it was different, so I latched onto it when I was watching my version, the the uh, the, the international theatrical cut, um, is that, <clears throat> for one thing, I always kind of have been sort of of the opinion that the unicorn is somewhat clunkily edited in. Yeah. It's somewhat clunkily edited in. It's like clearly something that he was sort of, 
it seems a little rushed because he's not really asleep. He's just kind of they just kind of have this sort of insert staring of um, Harrison Ford's face, right? Mm -hmm. But like the other thing is, as I it was actually more different than I even remembered because the other the 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 theatrical cuts don't have the unicorn dream at all. But one thing that is, but one thing it does have, which is kind of a there, it's it's kind of missing from these these finaler cuts that is is they kind of truncate what's a really lovely shot and a really lovely moment in the movie which is that in the part where he's kind of just sit, standing at the piano and and there's all those family photos in front of him mm-hmm. that's like when this vision sequence happens right yeah mm-hmm. so without the unicorn what what's in there is kind of this really lovely um little uh sort of dolly shot of slowly of slowly pan shot of him kind of just staring at the piano kind of with these family photographs staring at him Mm -hmm. and it's just this it's this kind of long little tracking shot with the vangelis music kind of swelling and i think i'm trying to remember the exact pacing of it but it's definitely like he's already been he's already aware of rachel's whole backstory and her family photos meaning nothing Mm -hmm. and he's already so it's like this just visually kind of like portrays that in, in the fact that he's kind of in where it is in the story. I think it thematically portrays this almost better than sticking that uni- unicorn in. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually think it kind of like where, where he's kind of like, how do I even know? Yeah. It, yeah. How, you know, like yeah. he's staring at that photo with his photos staring back at him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do understand how maybe the unicorn railroads that part now that you're um mentioning it especially because it's that shot i just described which is really lovely and and really works in that pacing of the movie is basically gone yeah from the final cuts it's it's a completely truncated where they're emphasized where they've emphasized the the vision part yeah so like that's kind of a lovely little little moment that i is just missing so maybe you should not just totally abandon it theatrical versions yeah that's that's my main argument for it but i i do kind of feel like also i think if deckard is definitely if you're taking that kind of more literal approach it that deckard definitely is a replicant i feel like there's kind of it opens up some potential plot holes like what well like for one thing like number one why you know because gaff is injured because gaff is injured but it's a little bit like okay but like so they're gonna spend that much money on a replicant you know to to do this job i mean maybe what and could then, hunt a replicant better than another also replicant? i guess but he sure gets beat up by replicants. yeah that's he a, sure that's gets beat up, but i guess they don't know but but the other thing is is that then there's the police chief who really seems to know Deckard. Yeah. Like how in on it is he if he does if Deckard's a fake person who he seems to be very familiar with and have a relationship with and seems to have sort of bigoted feelings towards replicants, how in on in on it is he? Yeah. And I mean, you know, that could be a nice part of the paranoia. I just I'm just kinda like, yeah, but like like um it, there it does it does beg some questions of like yeah but what why why do we have to have such a complicated conspiracy if yeah. you know i mean yeah. and i tend to not like to read in 
conspiracies into movies. That's not really one of my things that I do. And not, it's the thing that frustrates me about other movies. It's just like, let what's on the screen be on the screen and don't add and don't build things in that are really complicated and all of that. But this movie specifically, for some reason, gets me in that way so wait, well this movie is kind of designed to do that yeah. hold on why is the why is the unicorn why did they include the unicorn shots if he is not a replicant that's my main question is like if he's not a replicant why is there a unicorn dream sequence there and a unicorn origami if we're not led to believe that he's a replicant because he's trying because he's railroading it or because maybe it's a he's sign that, that I mean, like, they he's, shot that re- unicorn footage for the movie surveilled by gaff the entire time and the unicorn's like kind of a representation of gaff i think they i think ridley scott never completely even with the final cut never fully cracked how to visually suggest that hmm. that's kind of partly how does so, how so, does but you're saying that he was trying to visually suggest that then yes I, of course Okay. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean yeah. and maybe it was just to do a send up to the paranoia that is Philip K. Dick's oeuvre. Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, okay, I have read the book that this is based on called Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. And um, a larger theme in that book that is not really explored as much in the movie is a count a. Um, fake animals or sats animals hmm. and okay. um and perhaps the unicorn is maybe more it could be seen as a nod to philip k dick's fixation on fake animals in that book and manufactured anim- animals um hmm. i don't know so that's that's maybe an artistic nod to philip k dick that you know um couldn't be included in the theatrical version i don't know just musing um i guess in this i'm using too because i don't really know this for an absolute fact because i don't know if i've heard ridley scott talk about this explicitly but like so of course they shoot this and they want to include this unicorn vision right yeah mm-hmm. and and they want to tie it to gaff's little origami unicorn mm-hmm. and that how does he know that they want to do that but i feel like i it seems to me that he never fully cracked how to paste that into this the movie yeah and like, and I and, thought it happened when he was asleep, not when he was sitting at the that's piano. That's what I remember. I feel like yeah. I have this memory of he was like asleep in his chair, and he wakes up from that dream. Mm-hmm. It's not even, and, and, yeah. and, and like I just described, it even breaks up. I what's a nice part of the original in the director's cut. Is it? I think it's in the same spot in huh. the in, in the director's cut. It's at least in the same spot, but I even think it's maybe edited a little better in the final cut. Hmm. So, uh, but it's possible also. I actually think it's maybe pretty awkwardly edited in the um, director's cut because I think it's almost like a weird, like, it includes that full nice pan shot that I was describing um, and that little dolly shot. and But then there's kind of a weird dissolve to the 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 unicorn and then it and then it dissolve out so mm. it's very kind of thrown in yeah that and does this, feel awkward and so it's clear that this final cut that really scott said no i want this in the movie i fully decided and therefore he had to truncate that that shot mm. and and include more of those close-ups with harrison ford mm. so it's like that's kind of like fine i'm sticking with it yeah so, i just really like that it's the protagonist of the movie that could be um yeah. not real um, and that questioning and the it turning out that we have been made to invest in this character 
that was and that it that was supposedly a hero is the same race as the villains secretly i just really like that thematic idea and i think it's the same species yeah yeah yeah. and i think it's kind of like influential i think you know even though it was sort of a messily done in the theatrical cut the point came across Mm -hmm. and like i think it paved the way for other kind of types of movies that play that game Mm -hmm. and including the another philip k dick adaptation of course total recall (laughs) which is mostly just a fun romp (laughs) but does ask the same philip k dick questions of wait is this part of the weird game i'm playing yeah or am you know like am i a secret agent yeah you know (laughs) i love total recall by the way um so yeah um let's see what else is an element of this movie that we should explore yeah um Um, i mean gross the 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 romance scene the love scene is uh the older i've gotten of course it, the more I, I'm, I'm concerned like, for my ten-year-old self watching that and thinking it was romantic. I'm yeah, glad I, I mean, turned out okay. It's just one of those things. Like, um, <laughs> well, yeah, in my re- defense, I never thought it was romantic. I always <laughs> thought it was. For one thing, I was at the age where I'm like, "Ew, romance." But I was also like, even as a kid, was like, "What now?" Yeah. And, uh, then it's, it's one of those things. Uh, it's kind of the main thing that takes me out of the movie because I really, dated. I do like this movie. I don't know if it's dated because it's just weird. It's just weird. <laughs> yeah, it it takes me out. Like otherwise, I'm completely in the world. I love looking at the movie. I love how beautiful I it is. Really, I love the music, and then there's that part, and, and I'm really like, believe, oh jeez. I really believe Rachel and Deckard's relationship, except for that part. Yeah, I mean, the one thing is, I will say I, there was that piece of context that finally occurred to me for the first time when i was rewatching it mostly by myself where i'm like oh yeah he kind of can't let her leave He's yeah he tries to, he, to leave he, and he, he kind of shuts the door yeah. yeah he has to go ahead and be assertive to make her not leave because she's gonna die if yeah, she she'll leave. get executed she'll get so hunted down that kind of makes still... me that that lowers my hackles a little bit yeah. but it is like and maybe maybe the maybe the theatrical cut or the the internet that i saw like has one less like shove yeah i don't know it's just not a good scene and it's it, it so is, weirdly it, written like why is he just ordering her to say lines back to him like it, it's not i mean she at least starts to say some lines that she comes up with yeah but, uh, <laughs> Still, um it's just gross it's just it's hard just, to watch it's hard it's to the watch worst part it's of the whole coercive movie. and gross and, <laughs> yeah i hate it it's bad yeah. it's not good i mean but maybe the only other defense i can offer is that like well, if they're both literally replicants, <laughs> then maybe they then don't know how to. <laughs> they literally don't know how to like be humans, <laughs> and are both maybe technically virgins. You know, yeah. who yeah. don't know how to behave at all. Like, yeah, that's maybe one. Maybe maybe that's the read. Because well, I feel like the scene is odd enough to where I'm like, what are they doing here? Yeah, it's not just dated. That's a cop out. No. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so it's stilted and strange no matter how you look at it but that brings up for me another one of my favorite parts of the movies is how the replicants who we know are replicants behave Mm -hmm. and it is brilliantly directed and performed and written how they are kind of childish in these funny ways yeah and how they say silly things and how they move kind of weird and I just always this it's pitch perfect to me mm-hmm. in the movie how how strange they are and how childish and and their motivation is so pure as in terms of villains in a movie 
Um, they they want, want to live. Yeah. And of course they're going to massacre people in the name of that in a way. Like I, I get it. They're like five-year-olds who just want to not die when they're six. Yeah. And I think they're also, there's some implication that they've lived pretty rough lives before yeah. they got on this journey to save their own lives. Yeah. You know, they've lived pretty possibly rough, violent lives anyway. Yeah. They were soldiers or, or prostitutes. Yeah. And... Yeah, and oh, I yeah, pivot to Rutger Hauer. We've stand so great. We've stand Harrison Ford, but I don't. I haven't really seen much other Rutger Hauer performances. But I love the how seriously he takes this role and this character. It's I, iconic. Yeah, yeah, it's so iconic. And I feel like so many actors like kind of like I'm in a science fiction movie and I'm phoning it in because this is corny and like he seems to just philosophically believe in this story and this character and 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 he he seems to respect the character so much and he delivers the writing like it's like it's shakespeare like it's beautiful and deserves to be lifted up and to be you know to be held up as some of the greatest lines in cinema like he just knew what he was doing and he goes from these like grimaces of sorrow to these like childish smiles these little peevish smiles like in a beat you know and it's convincing that like he's just having mood swings you know yeah yeah and he doesn't quite know how to regulate himself like yeah Rutger Hauer just seems to have really thought about this character and really cared about Roy Beatty and you could just it's just so Roy yeah it's so beautiful to watch uh commissioned and born in uh 2016 Mm. which is I feel like this is the first time I've seen this movie since before. Yeah, this movie takes place in 2019. In 20, yeah, which is like, oh, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. This movie caused the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Another, oh, I remember that weird dissonant thing. Hate to pivot again away from Rutger Hauer immediately. We can go back. But um, the strange little man that lives in Sebastian. Sebastian that is that lives in the abandoned apartment building. I remember as a kid and it's revealed how old he is, 25, being like, but that is old. <laughs> 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 I was like, I don't understand. Yeah. He's got advanced decrepitude. That's not how 25-year-olds look. Like, it made no sense to me, his whole... And yeah, now... he's old and wrinkly, like a 25-year-old, yeah. That... <laughs> and now as a 35-year-old, I'm like, oh, that's really sad. He's just a little baby. He's a little baby boy. <laughs> I mean... My 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 watching it this time around is like it's like oh, he's twenty five he's got he's still got the hair of a twenty five year old a lot of twenty five year olds yeah he's doing fine yeah. <laughs> but it's just amazing the swing between the two of like I don't get why he's sad that he looks old he looks like every twenty five year old to me and now I'm like oh that would be so tragic to in the prime of your life your wee baby twenties to be to feel like you've already aged and you're already your body's falling apart how tragic you know like yeah my... except that is being 25 <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that character has always confused and creeped me out but in different ways um and i've struggled to connect with him or understand his point in the story and he's so weird and he's a... so creepy and he uh, it they write him well in that I understand why he would connect so much to the replicants. Not only that he helped design them, but he's a little bit stunted in terms of he's older than he should be, but he's also very childish because he has all these 
little toy friends he has and that's creepy and weird and he's he seems like he uh, his development is a little arrested you know yeah and uh i i think it i i honestly think that's a pretty fascinating element yeah his, why his does inclusion. is he the one that is the favorite of tyrell and why is he the one that's the main line to him though? one thing they got their chest Bro okay yeah i mean it just seems like my understanding is that he does very very specialized work yeah okay. so um he's maybe second only to tyrell in terms of his design okay influence yeah, yeah, yeah. i think that i i kind of gather that too is okay. that like and that's even partly why they're chess so he's bros. also kind of a boy genius yeah um, yeah okay okay and uh yeah he's not medium on the totem pole in terms of designing these these yeah uh, he doesn't just do eyes yeah he no he does do all eyes. of it okay yeah. yeah he yeah um there's some of me in you yeah <laughs> creepy <laughs> he just creeps me out though. yeah it's creepy the little toy spawn of satan with the big nose like <laughs> i oof, oof. that that part i mean when i was a kid i remember like the first time i watched it and i was like yeah no i want to leave the room you know? like it's not kind of not okay that you're putting these nightmares in front of me like i did not consent to this <laughs> this movie does have like and this is where this movie kind of is a sort of a, a self-conscious arty movie is that like some of it is like, that's just, okay, we're just sticking in horror movie elements just cause it's, yeah. it's, it's cool. Yeah. And like, it works for the, for the mood of this movie. Um, you know, cause this movie in some ways is a cerebral film and in some ways just kind of like, well, let's put weird stuff on the screen. And, um, and and well, that that's not exactly fair, but you know, definitely like th there is some like self-conscious stylishness, visual stylishness, and and visual stylishness. Also, this movie sounds great in the final cut. Oh, it sounds delicious. The music is amazing. The and the sound design in general. Another weird Albi childhood thing is that we had the soundtrack to this, and mom would just play it while cooking dinner and we would just eat dinner to it because our dad liked to pick out dinner music uh -huh, and it was yeah. like dave brubeck or this yeah <laughs> dave brubeck miles davis buena vista social club or the blade runner soundtrack yeah. <laughs> it really was so this is very much this music is like warm nostalgic like smell of garlic and onions cooking and olive oil and this soundtrack <laughs> like, this yeah. is such a part of our childhood oh my goodness yeah yeah yeah, I guess maybe that's what I'm getting at. Is I couldn't escape this movie even if I wanted. It's, it's, you know, this it is kind of part of me. Um, that music sounds like mom's cooking to me. It really does. Yeah, it really does make me feel calm. Yeah. It's a wonderful soundtrack. Yeah. But yeah, I guess going to 2049, so that's an example of, because I've always been semi-determined to poke holes in the theory, Therefore, when 2049 just has like, oh, yeah, and Deckard's not a rebel, a replicant. I'm like, I, I was, I was like, thumbs up. Ugh. I thought you know. they, they left it ambiguous. They left it a little ambiguous, but definitely like his four year lifespan is uh, not a thing. The other thing that just going back to this movie that like definitely this is one of those things where you think apart about it. It's like, why the hell like would they actually make this four-year lifespans because these these replicants don't seem cheap to make yeah you'd like think it you know like 14 years but then it's very interesting how when when roy's confronting tyrell about like why can't you increase our lifespan and he's rattling off these fairly I like detailed love... and believable like reasons why they can't sustain they can't 
undo it. I love my science talk, unless I'm like actually a scientist and could know that's all just garbledy gook, but just to me. But what's listening... interesting about it is he conveys that like, oh, you're like rattling off why you guys have actually tried. Yeah. Like they've tried to make their lifespans longer. But I think also they designed in the four years because that's when the emotions started. To yeah. Hit. But I'm, at the same time, I'm a little bit like. I, but I, I, are they trying to undo that? Because it's definitely like, okay, that's got to be expensive to keep making replicants. That, yeah, you know, I think like... they're probably trying to undo it because of the expense, but they initially designed it in because that's when they would start to get emotions and get violent. And so it's like, let's, you know, like built-in insurance or whatever the exposition was at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I guess they're just constantly experimenting. That's why he, knows, he has all these facts to rattle off. Yeah. Something I liked in the writing is how Tyrell did not seem afraid when Roy came to see him and he in fact did a great job explaining why and he, he sat down and would like did this fatherly thing of like you know you've done so well you've had, let, lived such a good life be happy be grateful for your life yeah revel did, in your time it's like what we've been told by every kid who finds out they're gonna die and you're like scared of your morality your mortality and it's like just enjoy the time you have hey, yeah. man. and it's like i want more time though yeah it's so, always the response yeah so and it's it just <laughs> it's great how how calm he seems until the very end when he's getting his face squeezed he really thought he he could speak to his own creation and, and that talk he his way out of it talk yeah. his way out of it he just like had this confidence that was, of course, completely unfounded. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and uh, it seemed to reach Roy for a second also. Like, it was a weirdly tender moment. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the way he kissed him on the mouth. Like, he really did. He was really looking forward to meeting this guy. He was his father. He I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of take it as, as this guy has a fairly, like, planned out twisted execution he was going to perform yeah i mean but <laughs> he know? was hoping also that maybe this guy was going to be his savior and maybe he yeah. was going to make him so he could live and that know. was his plan a is to keep living yeah but like i but think plan there was b was to murder the poo out of him yeah, yeah. pretty much so um <laughs> but it was a weirdly emotional moment yeah, and I think that I think the guy who plays Tyrell, who I, I should look him up. He's also a, one of Kubrick's guys. Oh. Uh, he's in The Shining, serving Jack Nicholson uh, some whiskey. Oh, um, and looking creepy. Mm -hmm. uh, um, Did he have Coke bottle glasses in that one? No, he had no <laughs> glasses. <laughs> okay, that's partly why you don't recognize him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really pretty good moment there, and um, and yeah. I, oh, I guess. Oh, yeah. The 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 intellectual thing I was gonna say is is a is this is the oldest story mm -hmm. it's the epic of gilgamesh you know yeah. what that's about right? yeah it's about trying to bring his best friend Which back is, to he, life he, well it's all and he, he confronts a god in the underworld and he's like hey so the fact that people die sucks yeah it super sucks man and, 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 and the, a god in the underworld says i mean true <laughs> you know? and that's can't, the epic of gilgamesh yeah can't fix it yeah he's on the gilgamesh's quest is to find immortality yeah and so yeah that's people have been struggling with this since the beginning of time and it's beautiful yeah and of course science fiction is such a great way to express it but yeah mm -hmm. um also he's he's it's a milton's paradise lost that mm. uh that uh that he he says to Tyrell, not Dante. Okay, Milton's Paradise Lost is that he quotes from it. The the angels research fall. assistance from mom. Yeah, I see. Okay, <laughs> Wait, so that the angels fell line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Yeah, weirdly literary that Roy Beatty. All his poems. He's a he likes poems. He likes rhymes. He loves he loves his life. He's trying to really live it. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to talk briefly twenty forty nine and more or nah? Eh. Uh, you know what? I, I haven't seen it recently enough to really go into it. Like Fair enough. I remember not hating it. That's, <laughs> that's I remember it. just being like, What a like what a like cruel thing to do to yourself is to try to make a sequel to Blade Runner. Yeah. And like the fact and just not failing horribly is is an achievement. True, so true. I guess that was kind of where I was judging him like if this doesn't suck you were then like seeing it as a filmmaker of being like I wouldn't want well, to I don't put know. myself through this. The main yeah. thing I didn't like is what's his name? Jared Leto. Yeah. I don't I, I kind of don't like him in anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I mean. don't agree with this weirdly irrational Jared Leto hate. It seems to be almost like it almost seems reflexive yeah. more than it seems thought out. Yeah. But I think he's the worst part of that movie. Yeah. But it's not yeah, because of Jared Leto. It's because yeah, of... Yeah, I don't, I don't know where I stand on Jared Leto. Like, sometimes he creeps me out so bad, and other times I'm and like... he's but supposed he's... to. Yeah, I know. And then other times I'm like, but he was so good in Dallas Buyers Club. And, yeah... <sighs> I think he's just not good in that movie. Or but I don't like I him. I think it's mostly the writing does not cover any new ground no. that Tyrell yeah, does in this movie. So. baby Tyrell too. And I honestly annoying. think they should have left the Tyrell Corporation a little bit out of that new movie. Because yeah. it has yeah. nothing new to say about... It has yeah. a lot of other th- sort of interesting things, new things to say about the world building, but it doesn't really have anything new to say about Tyrell. So yeah. I was definitely like, meh. Yeah. Um, We're at an hour and eight minutes. Well, right. we, we have things to say about Blade Runner. And I guess we said them. Yeah, I feel good about this episode. Good. Uh, <laughs> what else are we consuming? What else are we consuming? Wow. Well, I, as y'all know, am an Oscar stan. Um, I have ambitions to actually start an Oscar podcast next year. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to get ahead of the game and watch buzzy movies now before the nominations hit. So I've actually managed to see a couple this week, or in the last couple weeks, I saw Triangle of Sadness, which, despite the name, is a hilarious movie, and that's all I'm going to say. And then I saw Tar, uh, which is not hilarious. Um, but... Yeah, I'm just trying really hard to engage in the Oscar discourse and see which performances everybody's talking about and see those movies as best I can. And that's sort of what I've been. I've been consuming the podcast Little Gold Men, uh, where they discuss all of this. And I've been trying to see movies with Buzz. So that's what I've been doing. Buzzy movies. Mm-hmm. Not muzzy movies. Buzzy. Not muzzy. Nine. Wootsie. <laughs> 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 see. <laughs> Um, I can't think of what I've been consuming. I, I feel like I have less and less of an answer for this every time. What have you been creating? I've been creating stuff. <laughs> I've been making a lot of things. I don't know. There's just, it's almost too much to get into. I'm working on a whole other record. I think I've decided I'm going to self-release uh, my follow-up Arabata record because I think I will put more care into into promoting it ain't that always the way yeah so i'm gonna i've been researching how much it costs to make a bunch of cassettes because printing records vinyl records is just exorbitantly expensive and it's way cheaper to do a small run of cassettes and honestly the physical media i mean 
isn't it don't people just need a cute thing in their house like <laughs> i mean how often will I, I, people are like uh, people will really not listen to that cassette and i'm like yeah i mean people will mostly listen to it online for free <laughs> so if if at all so i'm kind I of think just CDs like these are making a comeback though yeah but i don't want a cd I, I i like cassettes i think they're cute i like the little case that opens up literally it's about it being a cute object that's kind of part of being an independent musician is you want a cute object that does actually contain your music yeah (laughs) and um yeah so I think I'm doing a cassette run and um and I've been researching that and it's that's kind of been what's up with me lately cool um my two things I've been consuming are uh, well quickly I'll say I did the scramble oh yeah it went fine yeah I heard that your movie got some laughs Yes, we 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 did a comedy and and editing it by myself for hours made me go like, well, I don't think this thing is funny. <laughs> you know, but we'll yeah. find out. <laughs> um, when you're editing something by yourself for hours, you're like, well, here we go. Yeah. If we get if we don't get one laugh, then oh well. Yeah. No, we got some. It was good. Um, I guess so. What I've been consuming is uh, uh, Harry Potter and Stanley Kubrick. Huh. Harry Potter because I got in between books and I kept going like, like I was choosing what book I want to read. I'm like, you know, maybe I just want to, I just kind of want to take a mental break yeah, and read something kind of warm and familiar and, and fall asleep to it yeah. <laughs> on a nightly basis. So therefore I'm on book four. All right. <laughs> you know, because them things, them things will suck you in and, yeah. and, and, they, and they're accomplishing the mission of being kind of light and warm and familiar and mm-hmm. put me to sleep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if I have much Harry Potter take on I it. Mean, it's kind of interesting reading it as a grown up, and also kind of more firmly recognizing that a lot of the, a lot of the plotting in these books is pretty sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but it, interesting. It, it yeah. even makes me want to revisit the movies because I'm like, well, I mean, like some of those movies really have nice cinematography and mm. they're really well cast. So. I still have never seen the last movie because I didn't. Neither have I. That's yeah. how little of a shit I gave. I stopped yeah. at the third one. So. Oh, wow. So there you go. That's <laughs> yeah. how snob we, snobby we are. So, <laughs> and then speaking of snobby, I've been really enjoying uh, Stanley Kubrick films uh, because, you know, the, our, 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 our probably overly self-conscious in, friends and influence blank check the podcast is doing Stanley Kubrick. And um, so it's really been fun to watch with them, yeah, and revisit some of these movies I've seen before, and then and then get done all the Stanley Kubrick movies I hadn't seen. Um, I guess my Stanley Kubrick take is that all of his movies are pretty funny. What was that historical one? Your letterbox review made me want to watch it. Barry London. Barry Lyndon. Lyndon. Oh my. You're, yeah, god. I was like, dang, I gotta watch this thing. Oh my god! It, I mean. That might be my new second favorite Cooper. Oh movie. my goodness! Very Linden is. Wait, what year is it? Could we watch it after the pod? Seventy-five. Oh, so that's a while. From it's now. a little. Yeah, if we get to season five, yeah, no. Very uh, <laughs> Linden is phenomenal, and like, yeah, all of his movies are pretty funny. It's not just the exception that, like, oh yeah, serious Kubrick also happened to make Doctor Strangelove, which is a an outright comedy. That's an odd one in his career. It's like no. Kind of all of his movies have some weird dark humor in it mm-hmm. that are in like. Uh, I mean, there were definitely funny parts of Eyes Wide Shut. I think. Oh no, yeah. Eyes Wide Shut is kind of a secret. Con- well, like this is that's firstly what opened my eyes. No pun intended. <laughs> is that like I'm like, wait, this movie's kind of has bits. Yeah. This movie's kind of a comedy, and I'm like, huh. And then and then of course Lolita is an Ooh. insane movie. 
because yeah, it is it, they had to make it code but yeah. also it was like how in the hell is this movie this funny yeah you know how is this how is he pulling this off and um yeah no um i've been really enjoying that and obviously i've always been a huge kubrick fan so it's kind of fun to more intentionally go through his movies and it's also like i was almost worried because i've been watching so many of his movies that um that this would almost be like, is it going to be hard to watch another kind of Arturi big vision movie like Blade Runner? And the answer, no. Blade Runner stands up just fine. <laughs> so anyway, that's my final compliment to Blade Runner. <laughs> cool. Well, cool. Um, we good? <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We did a long one and we indulged ourselves. And we'll, we'll continue to do that again. Bye, y'all. Wait, which one is it? League of Their Own? League we're doing, of Their Own. We're, we're joining the League of Our Own. Okay, yeah. well, cool. of their own. You know. We're joining the League. Yeah. All right, bye-bye. Bye.